Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Sunday, March the 28th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, listening on social media. Is it possible to do so? And is it possible to do so carefully? And have you ever thought of either reducing your time on Twitter or any other social media platform or disengaging from it altogether? The Beatles, hello, goodbye. And, you know, I've got to say, um, dear listener, that, you know, communication is everything, isn't it? And it's really important to try to gain some measure of understanding. But I also think that the key to communication is listening. I think that if one is not able to listen then communication actually becomes a lot more difficult. And I'm really saying that with some sincerity because it's not just about wanting clarity if you are unclear. It's also about listening because you may not be listening and you may be unclear and you may think you're listening But you actually are not. And I play Hello Goodbye because, well, that song's got a lot of things going on in it to begin with. But I really play it as some kind of metaphor for communication and misunderstanding or disregarding. And I think that social media gives us this opportunity to either misunderstand, misread, dismiss, worst of all, or just not really contemplate or listen to what's being said or how it's being received. I mean, that that works both ways. The reason why I'm talking about this is because, again, I put out some tweets on Friday evening at the popcorn R-E-E-L. That's Friday, March the 26th, 2021. And it was about my observations here in San Francisco and what I am so fed up of here amidst the pandemic as it is all over the world. Still, are the number of people I see without masks on at all in this city. And all of them are white people. I've said this before. I've said this prior. I am at a loss as to why. Why? Why is that? 
I don't know why. Whenever I'm in San Francisco, I don't see other groups of people doing this. So what I am saying to you, dear listener, is that those tweets that I put out were simply observations that I was making about what I was seeing. And every day this past week, every day, I, I kid you not, in, in the neighborhood, just walking down the street, every day at least eight people, at least eight, would not have a mask on. And every one of them was a white person. It's an observation that's hard to miss if that's what you saw of your own two eyes. I don't have to go up to someone and ask them, are they white, when it is fairly clear, at least to my human eyes and my brain. I don't understand why. So I put that on Twitter. Some people liked the tweet. And I actually put a couple of tweets up there. And I was not happy. I was absolutely not happy, which is why I took to Twitter, which is not always the best idea. But I did so. And I'm going to talk about social media to a larger extent in a few minutes. But I want to just say how the responses were interesting. Most of all people, the, the you know, it wasn't a whole lot of people. It was a few people who liked the tweet and retweeted it. Um, for whatever reasons they retweeted it um, and people liked it a few people did I, I honestly want an answer to that question why why is that why is it and just completely flouting everything flouting the rules you know in buildings no masks on in on the street not wearing a mask and again, everyone I see who's not is white. Now, of course, there are white people who wear masks. I didn't say that in my tweet. I just don't know why. And those people would have to figure that out. It's just one of the things it is, is that people, the people I'm talking about that I saw in this position were lazy and selfish. That's my view. They're lazy and selfish and they do not care. It's clear they don't care. They know that, as I've said many times here, they know that they're supposed to wear a mask and you know that they're supposed to wear a mask. So there's no need for you or me to go up to them and say a darn thing because this pandemic has been going on for over a year now in the United States. We all know here that you're supposed to wear a mask. That is not some surprise news that's been sprung upon us in these last 24 hours or so. We all know that you're supposed to wear one. They know that. You know that. I know that. We know that. And yet there are people who don't. And so what I was saying in the tweet was very clear. And I got some people responding. Someone had talked about doing their part and saying and urging people to get on, get on board and do the same. And someone else had said, I think, to something to the effect of, well, this happens in my country as well. 
and all kinds of people do it. And I'm not so sure it's a case of skin color, though. And I listened to that tweet. I read it at least three different times. And I I did wonder about it because I wasn't saying anything about skin color. I said that the observation was that white people were the ones that I'd seen doing this. I didn't make any other judgment other than why is it that white people are doing this? And obviously, oh yeah, well you invoked white, Omar, so yeah, that's about skin color. But think about it. It's an observation I made. And the effect of the tweet in response, in my view, was to, whether the person meant it or not, the effect was a dismissal of the fact that my experience was my experience. That's how I read this. My experience is my experience and your experience is your experience. And I would never ever attempt or even dream about discounting your experience by talking about, well, in my situation, I don't think it's about that. So there's this, the point I'm trying to make, dear listener, is that there's a defensiveness that I sensed in that response. Whether the person meant it, didn't mean it, whatever. There was a defensiveness coming out of that response. And that defensiveness also turned out to be, in my view, this trampling of an experience that I had. And and quite frankly, meaning to me that the person may not have either listened to the tweet, if you can, to the extent that you can listen to a tweet that doesn't have any audio to it, or just reflexively said, oh, I don't think it's about race. Well, first of all, while this might seem like a contradiction to some listening, I wasn't making this about race at all. It was an observation I had that mentioned that there were white people doing it. And my question is why? It wasn't Anything more than that. And my anger because a young white woman who walked past me with no mask on yawned right as she's walking by me. Wide open yawn. Yawn. Right near my right near me as I'm walking with my two masks on. No mask. I'm going to I'm going to give out a big yawn. That's what she did. That's what she did. All I had said was is that I had never seen anyone else in San Francisco all week long and, and rarely on top of that since one full year plus ago without a mask on. It's almost always and in this whole week that just passed, it was always white people. Was it just white people's week? Not to wear a mask? Or is this something that I've seen for a year? And the answer is the latter. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. I think what happens when it comes to 
racism or when it comes to a black person giving you, dear listener, whether you are black, whether you are white, Asian, Latina, Latino, native, whomever you are, when a black person is speaking about their experience and mentions the word white once, twice, four times, five times, and people next to it or persons next to it, there are some white people who, in my view, get tremendously defensive, nervous, threatened. They feel like they're being attacked. It's my experience. It's not attacking anybody. Now, of course, some people listening might think opposite, might think otherwise. But when someone of a different faith or a different race or a different gender says what their experience is, I'm telling you, there's no re- there would be no way that I would ever talk about, well, it's this way where I am and it's not a matter of gender or it's not a matter of something else. I don't, because what I do, I'm sorry, I listen. And I'm not saying that this person didn't listen. But what I am saying is, is that in responding in the way that the person responded, it appeared to me that they had, within the source of their response, disregarded what I was talking about completely. Instead of suggesting what another responder did, which was, look, I'm doing my part. And this responder who said this was white, look, I'm doing my part. Everyone else has got to do this, which I thought was a really good response to what I said, quite frankly. There was a response that didn't take that tact. It was, well, where I'm from, Lots of people do it. And they're all different kinds of races. And I'm not sure that uh, skin color is an issue here. And there's that dismissal that every black person hears, right? There is, in fact, that dismissal. It's not just heard, it's felt. And it's not just felt, it is. And that's why I play Hello Goodbye, because... I'm not so sure that the person who responded really took account of what I was saying. And if they did, I think that they felt uncomfortable. And I think that part of their discomfort or other things that I'm not going to even accuse them of manifested itself in the kind of response that I just Disclose to you. Why the defensiveness? Well, all skin colors do it. Well, you know, why, why, why is that? Why is it that there are some white people who are in a rush to do something like that? And instead of having an opportunity to talk about these issues, there is this rush to defend and a rush to deflect. It's the worst kind of thing that people do. And there are people in all kinds of groups who do this, depending on what the issue or the topic de jour is. 
But it is so annoying and confounding. And there's an opportunity that's dropped and missed and discarded because instead of wading into the water of dealing with something that might make a responder on Twitter or every, anywhere else on social media uncomfortable, it's the easy thing to do. Well, I've seen this here and I don't think that race has much to do with it. Well, where you are, that might be true, that you have seen people of all kinds of races doing this. I'm not discounting your experience. What I am saying is, is that you did not listen to what I said. At least that's what I think. And it was reflexive. And instead of saying, well, like the other responder or one of the responders said, well, you know, I'm doing what I can do, but everyone needs to do their part. Something like that, which I really thought was a good response. That's someone who listens. But instead of that, it was, well, I see all kinds of people doing it. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my experience. And the funny thing is, I dare say that had I said, I see all kinds of different groups of people of different racial backgrounds in San Francisco not wearing masks, I probably wouldn't have got a response from the person that responded the way they did about seeing everybody. That's probably about right. I could be very wrong about that, but I'll take my chances. Is it social media that brings that kind of an exchange? I mean, first of all, for me, bringing that out on the table. And by the way, I would have said this in person because I've asked this question before, dear listener, about your online persona and your offline persona, real life persona, and how and all those things different. And I'm telling you, and as I said this before, what you hear from me on Twitter is virtually the same as what you get in real life. Oh, and there's a couple of adjustments, <laughs> but they're but basically the same. There's no pretense with yours truly. There's no need to be pretense. And there's plenty of people who are pretty much the same, I would guess, online as they are in real life. But there are, I would also guess, a whole load of people who are completely different offline. Either a lot worse or a lot better. I don't know. I don't know. And I just wonder if social media actually brings out the private persona. I mean, I've got this collection now uh, at the popcorn, at the popcorn reel. Yeah, <laughs> at the Politocrat Daily Podcast store that's called public self, private self. And the design of that t-shirt, that t-shirt was designed by yours truly based upon the topic of this kind of issue that I brought up on January 2nd of 2021, which was whether or not your online persona reflected your real life persona. 
So I decided to decide design based on that topic, based on that episode, decided decided to design a t-shirt. Public self, private self, which is available now at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. I will start to model that t-shirt soon, by the way. So you can see it and it looks pretty damn good, the t-shirt. And it's available in black and white. And you've, I think if you've gone to the store, you've probably seen it. But I can tell you that I will certainly be modeling it in the not too distant future. But that's not, that's not really the issue of why I'm bringing that up. It's, do you think that social media accounts for First of all, why I would say what I say, although, like I said, I'd say this in person to anybody and have with a mask on six, at least six feet away. Or on the telephone or on whatever, Zoom, whatever. This is what you see from me is what you get. But my whole question again is, does... Social media bring out a side of, of a person that they never knew they had? Does it bring out a side of someone that's always been there? Or is social media just an avenue for someone to just say anonymously or through words on an electronic interface what they wouldn't say in person? Or might only say privately to people they know. I mean, is that, is there one of those choices that this applies to? Is it about communication? Is it about, does social media account for this kind of thing where people are responding to something that was not introduced? And I recognize that people are going to chime in with whatever the hell they chime in with. Sometimes it's salient. Sometimes it's damn well not, right? Sometimes it's, what are you responding to? You're responding to something that's not even part of the conversation. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you just want to throw in the garbage if you could, which means you mute or block someone. That's how you do that, right? But I wonder if it's, much to do with social media at all or whether it's really the person feels insecure or feels threatened or feels uncomfortable and so a person might choose to respond and deflect i've seen this story so many times and i know a lot of black people have i know i would imagine a lot of women of any background have where you're talking on social media or in person and someone of the male gender, someone of a different group will then introduce something as a response to your concern and your statement and your issue or your articulation that operates to either sideswipe it, denigrate it, dismiss it, deflect away from it, ignore it, or trivialize it. 
You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this many times. I bet you have. Dear listener, you must have experienced this at least once. If you're a woman, you've definitely experienced this. Some of you may call it mansplaining. Some of you may call it whatever you might choose to call it. But that is out there and it's been going on forever. You raise a concern that's a pertinent concern. You raise something about your experience. You say it. You articulate your observation. And someone on social media or someone at your workplace or someone casually comes up and totally sledgehammers what you're expressing about your own experience or they completely actively trivialize it or they call you names or they threaten you, insult you, get misogynistic or racist or defensive or all of the above. And the net effect of that is that it leaves you as a black woman completely, completely disrespected. It leaves you feeling invisible because the society makes you invisible in the first place by the way it behaves toward you. And we know that. But you could just as well be talking into the wind. There was someone I was talking to about this the other day. And that person was making the point about this kind of deflection that happens in certain communities. You bring up something and all of a sudden someone else is bringing up something completely different as a deflection. And it operates to get you off the subject and not to recognize or acknowledge the pain or the articulation or your experience or your observation. It is totally designed to either eviscerate it, minimize it, trivialize it, deflect away from it, bait and switch from it. And it's terribly offensive. Whether it's done intentionally or whether it's not. And that's why I play Hello Goodbye. Because it's two people talking past each other. One person putting something out there and the other not addressing or not reacting to the observation or comment on the table. I tried my darndest. If I'm responding to somebody's tweet or whatever it might be, I really do make sure I try to that I'm addressing their concern or saying something in response to what they're saying. Instead of introducing something that ends up minimizing the concern or the issue that they have or the predicament that they are in. It is something that is very important. And that thing is listening. 
the it is, is the listening part. And we do deflect. It happens all the time when I do Q&As. When I do these Q&As or when I've done Q&As, it's, it's happened in all the ones I've done lately. Um, at least the two I've done with the, in the Mechanics Institute here in San Francisco. And then there have been other Q&As in the past that I've done where this happens, where you open things up to questions and the audience members, some of them haven't even seen the movie that you've been discussing, which is a real pet peeve. Because the conversation is about the movie that I've spent X amount of hours preparing for and that other people in the Zoom group have spent at least an hour, two hours or whatever watching and maybe even re-watching. So maybe four hours for them. And or I may have watched it a second time or whatever. And I'm preparing. I've done my prep. And then someone comes in in the Q&A. Oh, I haven't watched the movie, but... And then they throw in something that's completely freaking unrelated to the conversation. And it's really disrespectful. Really disrespectful. It shows that you don't care. It shows that you don't listen. It shows that you disrespect and disregard the form. It shows that you disrespect the people who did spend the time and did take the time out of their busy schedules to watch the film that you knew was going to be discussed beforehand. You had that chance and you chose not to do that. It disrespects the moderator, yours truly, because I'm fielding questions and I'm supposed to be getting questions from people who actually watched the movie. And, and that happens so often. You've probably had this happen to you. You may have moderated some kind of thing and someone asks a question that's got absolutely nothing to do with the subject matter. Nothing to do with it. And it's a complete spin around on something else. And that's just so disrespectful. Why do we do that to each other? Why do we do that? That's the spirit that I was raising the question in, in the tweet from Friday. Why, did, why is that? Why do we do that to each other? Why is it that in San Francisco, in a small stretch of San Francisco, all the people who were not wearing masks are white? Why is that happening? I mean, that's my question. And I don't think the answer is, well, in where I am, everybody does it. That still does not address the issue that I have. Everybody doing it doesn't make it better, doesn't alleviate my question. Maybe it alleviates your guilt and your, uh, you know, your discomfort to say everybody because then it deflects away from the word white and people or person. But do you hear what I'm saying? I was going to say, do you see? But you can't see anything 
because you can only hear me. I'm not on video here. But do you hear where I'm going with that? And do you hear what I mean? It's a complete disrespect of the form, of the people in it, of myself as a moderator. And you're disrespecting yourself too. That's kind of like what they say in criminal law at the bench in a courtroom, introducing something that's not in evidence. And it is a way to deflect. It is a way to take people away from the focus because maybe one or two people in the group are uncomfortable with dealing with what's going on. And so to alleviate that, rather than attack it and get uncomfortable because we all need to be in this world so that we can actually make changes so that we don't have to be feeling uncomfortable anymore. But rather than wade into those waters, just like Natalie Collins said last week or the week before, there's a choice to believe or not believe someone when that person, your good friend, says that they got attacked by some man that you are good friends with. You have a choice. To either say, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I stand with you. I'm going to really look at this relationship as a friend that I have with this violent man that you said attacked you. And do the work in dealing with that and maybe jettisoning this person. Not maybe. I mean, I would jettison a person like that. Straight off. I don't care how long I've been friends with them. I've done it before. Not with people who, not that there's someone who beat someone. It's someone who um, said things about gay people that were absolutely reprehensible. I am not doing, I t I've said this before, maybe not on this, maybe on this podcast once. I ended a 10-year friendship with somebody over stuff like this. A 10-year friendship because that person had these views about gay people. And I'm not standing for that. And maybe some people wouldn't, Dismiss that friendship. But I did. I don't want a medal. I don't want a cookie. All I'm saying is, is that that's what I do. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me worse. But I, I really do take that kind of thing seriously. Not that you don't or not that someone doesn't. It's just that I take that stuff very seriously in terms of if I stand for someone and if I stand with them, that's the least I can do. It's the least I can do. But I do think that it is it's just really, you know, again, this happens a lot. It happens a lot. We just it seems to me do not want to face ourselves. Do not want to face the society that we live in. Some of us are in deep denial and don't even know it, don't want to admit it. And again, I always say intent means nothing. Now, again, there are people who take issue with that. That's okay, take issue with it. No one is supposed to agree with anyone 100% of the time or even 50% of the time. But... 
Intent means nothing. When the harm is done, I know the law looks at that and I know that the legal system looks at the word intent and it is a legal construct. It's a construct born into evaluating whether or not the punishment for someone should take on a greater weight and scale. And in terms of monetary damages, whether or not intent plays into that somewhat. And that may be a huge barometer into the difference between paying out a reasonable sum of money versus paying out a windfall sum of money that leaves you broke. So intent figures on on that front. But when it comes to people who say, well, I didn't mean it. I don't care whether you mean it or whether you don't mean it. The fact is the, the harm is done. You've done something. Something's happened and it was done at your hands. And the response of, well, I didn't mean it has got no weight at all, in my view, none. Because what's done is done. And now the question becomes, how do you address it? What do you do about it? How do you move forward? And do you say that this is not going to happen again? What work do you do in furtherance of that? That's how the source gets made. Certainly how I would approach something like that had I been in the wrong. Definitely. As I often say, we can't be calling for a better world without calling for our better selves. I firmly believe that. You can't have a better world and wish to change that without changing the things about yourself that you know you need to change or you know you can be better on. Because that's kind of like a contradiction, isn't it? It's kind of, or at least a hypocritical thing in some way. I want to be the change in the world I see, you know, kind of paraphrasing Mahatma Gandhi. But yet there are all these other issues over here that I need to iron out about who I am as a person or what I do as a person or whatever. And that's a contradiction, isn't it? If you've got this, that and the other to deal with and you've got to make these changes and you've got to do that and you're calling for, I want to change the world, I need to do, we need to do this, we need to do that. But yet in your own personal life, there's some real issues and you're not addressing any of those. Well, I don't have to go any further. You know what I'm going to say. I just think that we've got to listen more. Um, I include myself in that. I absolutely do. It would be hypocritical of yours truly to not include myself in that. I am not naive enough, nor silly enough, nor lacking in self-awareness enough to believe that I don't have work to do to improve in terms of what I do and the kind of person I am and the kinds of things that you have to improve on in life. No one 
doesn't have these things. We all have these things, but I'm not talking about all. I'm talking about me. And I will hold myself to the standard of trying to continue to improve on a daily basis. Because if I can't do that as a person, and I get behind this microphone on a daily basis, and I try to say to you, dear listener, that this is the way forward, and yet I'm not doing the kinds of things, the work and the improvements and the uh, self-awareness and all the other things that you've got to do to be better, to try to keep pushing yourself to be better at what you do, at who you are, then it's all for naught, isn't it? You can't pretend that you're this wonderfully perfect person. How can you do that? You've got to keep shaping and moving and cultivating and learning and growing. That never stops. You never stop learning or hopefully growing. Because that's the part. You find people in their 70s and 80s who are still horribly immature. I mean, really, you you find people, I know people like this. And I shake my head. I really do shake my head. It's about listening, learning, growing, and doing the things you've got to do. I just don't wade into the water of trampling someone's experience or their observation. What I would prefer is to listen to the person expressing their observation. Whether you are agreeing with it, whether you're uncomfortable with it, whether you think you're being attacked. The experience is my experience. And for someone, whether they mean it or whether they don't, to talk about, well, all, kind of brings me back to this all lives matter BS. When people all over the world, black, white, Latinx, Asian, native, all over the world are talking about Black Lives Matter. And you have some idiots talking about, well, white lives matter or all lives matter. And the truth is, is that all lives will not matter unless and until black lives matter also. And that's the fact. And it's that kind of thing. All lives, all lives. Well, not all lives are being ended by police in record numbers. And again, it's this indifference and discomfort that they're trying to get rid of. Well, the indifference stays. It's the discomfort that they want to get rid of. And that's that's how I view it. And I just think that It's not a good look. It's not a good look to be 
so quick to respond to someone's observation and experience by deflecting away from it. It shows that you're not listening. It shows that you're not paying attention. And it shows that you are either uncomfortable or feeling threatened or somehow defensive about what someone's saying. And if you want to be a so-called ally, and I don't like that word because as Tamika Mallory says, you need to be an accomplice. I go along with that. I, you need to be, a, and I'm saying you need to be a partner. Ally just seems really weak, just like woke. Because allies can turn their back at any moment. People who are accomplices can't do that so easily. They can't do that so easily. And that word is even better than partner. Accomplice. You're in it together. Listening's really important. And on social media, I know that a lot of the more famous people have ended their participation on Twitter, have suspended their account, deleted their accounts. Chrissy Teigen, just a few days ago, did, the, did that very thing. I once dubbed her the queen of Twitter. She was, in my estimation, one of the, um, really the, the, the person on Twitter who was excellent articulated some really great issues and comments and just said some things that I was right on with and her sense of humor and everything else. But obviously because of a platform that's owned by, yes, it is white men who are controlling the algorithms, controlling the spaces. There are no safe spaces for black women. There is another black woman, the author. And I now, um, Oh dear, why didn't I remember her name? Ejuemo Umo, I think is her name. Umo, U-M-O. I have her book, it's called Mediocre. And the subtitle is something to the effect of um, the problem with white male America or something like that. And in the book, the author, a black woman, a professor and uh, scholar and award winner and everything else argues that we have all suffered at the expense of mediocre white men and I totally agree and the, these mediocre white men get all these advantages and all these things and we all have suffered as a generations after generations because of this system that does that this very racist system and so she is now contemplating or has actually taken down her Twitter account. She certainly isn't responding anymore as of March the 20th or so. And she, or March the 14th or so. She's, and she says, like I'm sure T Chrissy Teigen, Chrissy Teigen has said that it's made, Twitter made her become something that she doesn't want to be and doesn't like. 
which goes to my question earlier that I talked about whether or not you think that social media is making you or making a person into something different or is social media bringing that other person out into the open? The person they always were, but kind of just left hidden underneath the surface. Or is it that the social media world is an inherently toxic world anyway? Which I would also say yes to, subscribe to that notion that it is, in addition to the other things I raised earlier. And Chrissy Teigen said she didn't like the way that she was on there after a while. And she saw less benefit to being on the platform than she did to being on it. So she felt it was easier for her not to be on the platform anymore. And she deactivated her account, deleted it, done, it's gone. I remember that another woman did this too, the actor. Um, and gosh, now I forget her name. Man, I am really losing my memory. I have to get checked in and make sure that this isn't something else. But Oh, I remember her name now. Jennifer Ely. I used to follow her on Twitter and she used to follow me. And then all of a sudden I realized her account it was no longer there. I tried to tweet her and her account was no longer on. She quit Twitter. This was, a se- this was several years now when I had my old Twitter account, which got deleted. Oh, God. Believe me, it was just, it got suspended over really nothing. Um, it's something, but it was just this copyright nonsense. Um, which is understandable, but this was just so light. And you see people violate copyright all the time on Twitter and none of their accounts are closed down. It's just hideous anyway. I don't want to really get into that. But the point is, is that Jennifer Ely, who is an actor, um, I think she still acts, uh, has been acting for a number of years now. Really good person too, by the way. And she quit Twitter. And I dare say because of the misogyny and everything else. And I'm sure Chrissy Teigen, um, and she's talked about this, the misogynistic comments and the racist comments and the misogynoirist comments and all the vile and vitriol, I'm sure, that she sees in her time feed, in her Twitter timeline and in her at replies. I'm sure she sees that all the time these people do this, these vile people. And so she said, I'm done. And Professor Yumo who I mentioned, who has written this new book called Mediocre, is doing the same thing. She is pretty much out the door because of all the nasty threats and all this kind of stuff. And another black woman today, because Professor Umo is black, um, Chrissy Teigen is black, and another black woman today, um, a medical doctor, Dr. Blackstock. Now, there's two Dr. Blackstocks, and they are related, uh, I believe, as sisters to each other, if not twin sisters. And one of them said that she got all of these vile messages sent to her via email and I guess on social media as well. And I'm telling you, black women get attacked on Twitter and on social media more than any other group. It's vile, it's evil. And nothing is done about this on these platforms. Nothing. Nothing. And when you don't control these spaces, as I've said before, and you don't control these social media platforms and you don't own them, then there is no such thing as a safe space. 
That may be a hard pill for some listening to swallow, but it's the truth. And that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to romanticize this. If you get in a car and you don't have the keys, you don't own that car. At least in the scenario I'm presenting. You don't drive that car. You get into the car. But you don't own it if you don't have the keys. And if it's not in your name. And if you don't have title to that car. You don't own it. So the person who does own it. And the person who has the keys. He or she or they can drive it whenever they want. Whether you're in it or not. And if you are in it. They could drive you to a place you don't want to be. You're in no control is my point. Of that car. And where it goes. And where that driver goes. At any given moment, that driver can veer one way or the other. And if you're not driving that car, and if you don't have the keys to that car, and if you don't have the title of that car, if you don't own that car, it's not a safe, 100% safe experience. And even if you are driving the car, you don't know what, well, I shouldn't even go here. You don't know what's going to happen when you take you take a chance when you drive, right? Just like you take a chance with anything in life. It's called life. And the same thing applies when you're on social media. If you and I'm not again, I think that this hatred has got to end. There've got to be much better protections. There's got to be punishments of these people who do this even more so. And all these algorithms that these people use, they need to absolutely change that stuff and start using a better form to communicate. Because this one really isn't working. It really isn't. And I don't think it's going to end well. And it doesn't matter how many times you haul Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg or the CEO from Google or whomever up before Congress, they are going to give you diddly squat. Nothing's going to get done. And the hearing is all performative and smoke and mirrors. They don't answer these questions, barely any of them. And if they answer them, they never answer them yes or no. It's always something long-winded. And they're smug. You've got Zuckerberg sitting there last week, smug. You've got Jack Dorsey, like he's on meth or whatever the heck he's on. Looks like an Aryan skinhead with a beard. I mean, I don't know what the F is going on at Twitter. Jack Dorsey's becoming a joke. Absolutely a joke. And Mark Zuckerberg, my goodness, where do I start? But even he answered some questions, occasional yeses or noes. But the thing is about these panels and these hearings is that half of these Congress people holding these hearings, being involved in the hearings, are getting money in their campaigns from a Facebook, from a Google, from a Twitter. The guys that they hold in front of them are the very ones putting money in the pockets of of their campaigns. How on earth are you expecting anything from hearings like that? 
when you've got people who are questioning these guys, who are getting campaign contributions from these guys and the companies. Come on. How are you expecting anything? How are you expecting anything to be done? You know why Mark Zuckerberg is sitting there smugly? Because nobody can touch him. That's why. And he knows that. These Congress people aren't going to do anything to him. This guy's contributing millions of dollars to half of these people's campaigns. All you have to do is go on opensecrets.org Type in the name of a congressperson and see how much money Facebook gave him last year. See how much money Twitter gave him last year. See how much money Google gave him last year. See how much money Amazon gave him last year. See how much money Apple gave them last year. Do I need to go on? This is not going to end well. Welcome back. So what are we going to do about social media? Is it something that we need to improve? Is it something that we need to just get rid of? Is it something that we can do without? There are some positives, organizing and being able to, but that's also a negative because, of course, what are you organizing for? What's your aim? Look at January 6th, 2021, for example. Social media was the biggest reason why that terrorist attack took place to begin with. Because the mobilization was done on social media and even on underground channels as well. And had it not been for social media, I don't think you would have got that many people attacking the U.S. Capitol building. I doubt it. I think you would have got far less. You would still be, may still well have had an attack. But it would have been dealt with easier because there would have been less people there. And social media brings out all of this very dangerous stuff because it's so easy to organize. And if you don't have good intent, speaking of intentions and you didn't mean it or you did mean it. If you're gathering to commit violent acts. And Lord knows this past few days, there have been enough of those going around. People in bathrooms in Georgia with guns and AR-15s and guns all over the wazoo and their guns exposed and guy in the bathroom casually looks at it, calls the police, of course, not in the bathroom. But while he's outside, tell them, get their rusty asses out to the shopping mall. And the guy And they arrest this guy coming out of the bathroom. He's got six blooming guns on him. And that guy, the brother, and it's a black man, who called the cops, saved a whole lot of friggin' lives. Then there was a shooting in Virginia. And, I mean, how much does social media have to do with this stuff? And also, of course, the fact that the gun lobby is doing what it's doing to really terrifying, ter- terrifying effect. 
What is the answer to all of this? Is it to just log off Twitter and delete your accounts on all social media? And how productive are you? Because I've said, if you spend more than two hours, in fact, two hours is a long time on Twitter, but if you do spend more than two hours on it, you really need to reevaluate what you're doing. You've got work to do, you've got this to do, you've got that to do. You can't. I don't think you can anyway. But if you spend that kind of time on Twitter, two hours plus, not a good use of your time. I mean, you really need to get off Twitter and get productive. And maybe you are productive, but... No way. I mean, it's just, that's too much time to be on a platform. And, and, you know, that is not getting, you're not being as productive as you want. What did you do before social media? What did a person do before social media? I can barely remember what I did before. I mean, I know I did something. But before Prodigy and America Online, what did you do? Before these forums start to show up and these platforms and these dial-ups and all this. What did you do? Communication has to be better and participation and our own safe spaces. I think that's a big solution. We've got to have our own platforms that we control, that we own so that there isn't some algorithm that's invented by someone that is designed to provoke and produce all of these harmful, nasty tweets or whatever. And you're at the you're trying to deal with all of that. And in dealing with all of that, you've got to delete this account and that account. And the, other. And the reason why you've got women, particularly black women, actually doing this and exiting stage left. There have been some black men like Ta-Nehisi Coates, who did the same thing a few years ago, deactivated his account on Twitter. Hasn't been back on since. And the reason why you're seeing this again, especially amongst a lot of black women, is it's pretty clear. The misogynoir, the misogyny and the racism that they get on these platforms that are not theirs. But that's not the point. Even if the platforms aren't theirs and they're not, no one should be subject to this kind of abuse or any kind. Any kind. And I think that that's the thing we need to not only understand and get, but let's get rid of these toxic platforms. Congress represents, you know, tries time after time to hold these guys up on Capitol Hill or remotely or whatever, and they did that. And yet they never get what they are promised. And that's the issue. There's too much arrogance, too much carefreeness about all of this, and it affects lives. I mean, social media does a lot to damage people as well as it does to try to uplift them if the platforms are used in the appropriate ways that are not damaging, that are life-affirming. That's important to remember. We really can do something to change the ways of a lot of men. We can do lots of things 
We have to educate them and make them unlearn. They've got to unlearn this toxicity, this toxic male culture, toxic masculinity. Got to be unlearned. Got to be. That's one of the missions we have. I think I'll go into the NAACP Image Awards and all the other stuff that took place um, on Saturday. I'll do that at another time. But I do want to get and talk about this and I'm glad that, um, that I put this out there because I do think social media is more a force right now for harm than good. I've not always felt that way. I've kind of flip-flopped, but now... Is it really worth being on social media apart from the obvious reasons why for promotion or for this or for that? Is it really worth it right now? Is it really worth it for you? Or do you have work to do? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.